Will turned back to the dead man, his father. A thousand things jostled at his throat, and only the dashing rain cooled the hotness in his eyes. The little lantern still flickered and flared as the draft through the ill-fitting window licked around the flame, and by its light Will knelt and put his hands on the man's body. Touching his face, his shoulders, his chest, closing his eyes, pushing the wet grey hair off his forehead, pressing his hands to the rough cheeks, closing his father's mouth, squeezing his hands. Welcome to His Darker Materials, where we run through the BBC HBO show His Dark Materials, episode by episode. So just before we go any further, spoiler warning for season one and all of season two. We're at the last episode. We're going to spoil the lot. So if you haven't seen everything so far, please go away, watch it and then come back. Um, as ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we're on Instagram at Stripped Media. Twitter at Stripped Media UK and use the hashtag HisDarkerMaterials. Once again, my name is Helen O'Hara. I am delighted to be joined as ever by my co-host Dave Corkery. Hello, Helen. Good morning. Hello. And I am particularly delighted, nice as Dave is, oh, that we are joined by another guest. Uh, our uh, Russell Dodgson is here with us today. He's the VFX supervisor for His Dark Materials. He was with us last season and is now going to do the same expert job of explaining how they did it all this year. Hello. Hello again. How are no you? No pressure. <laughs> you got this, Russell. Indeed. Just do exactly what you did last year again. Can you just play last year's again? It's easy. <laughs> there's, there's a surprising amount about bears, though, in last year compared, uh, to, compared to this year. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it, Russell. So demons, it. demons, fewer demons, but uh, more of them, I guess. Yes, that seems to be the take home. Um, yeah, it was nice to have that kind of slight breather from constantly panicking about whether people would consider the world too empty not full enough too full or whatever so um it was nice to be able to focus make it a bit more character based introduce a new couple of new forms for pan um that kind of represent lyra's journey a bit more um yeah it was really nice to kind of have that slight pressure off and sort of really dig into the demons as characters more i guess mm. than we so did last year. is this the optimal amount of demons for you then um from a, from a vfx point of view uh, maybe I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I think. Um, I think. I, I mean, I'm always happiest when the money is going on character development. Basically, mm. that's that's my answer. So if there's, you know, like season one when we had dialogue sequences between Lyra and Pan or between Lyra and Yorick, I was really happy. That's when I feel like everything is working and it's doing its job. I never really feel particularly comfortable when we're shelling out cash and filling screens up with background things that aren't helping the story along. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, to me, to me, it's a, it's a bonus. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of that in this episode, which we'll mm. get into. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, what were the big challenges then this season? Because I know last season, you know, you, you talked about obviously demons. You talked about armored bears. Um, what What's been the big challenge this year? Uh, coronavirus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, yes. Yeah, that's been the big one. I mean, uh, the truth is, is that there's been a few things that have been challenging, and they've been a bit unexpected. I think. So the spectres are really difficult. Mm. Um, they're very difficult from a story perspective and from a visual perspective. The windows are alarmingly tricky mm. um, to to get something that feels right. And we can go into them in detail. I'm just sort of giving you the overview. And then I think the one thing that was 
fairly tricky was we because we lost an episode um we had to kind of re approach in the edit at kind of, you know like a, a, not not a too later stage but you know when we were wanting to turn those things over into visual effects to execute the shots we were actually still trying to work out what parts of that episode we mm. wanted to sort of reference in other episodes and what we needed to do to bolster things in different places so Russell, um, could I could I just ask you to give our uh, some of our listeners may not be aware about um, how you lost an episode? Do you mind just giving them a very quick uh, bit of context there? We just couldn't find it. No, um, the, um, the, <laughs> I think the, it's in your house. I can see it behind. Is that it in your shelf? It might be. Um, we uh, so basically what we did is we had our normal eight episodes, which was our plan, uh, and we had one episode which was because um, James McAvoy isn't in, or Lord mm. Asriel isn't in book two. Um, he's referenced, but he's not physically in it as a character. And we always wanted to be able to sort of track what he's doing a little bit. Um, so what we did is we had an episode that was kind of a standalone episode that was going to sit in the middle. And it kind of gave us a bit of insight into what Asriel was doing, which I'm not going to tell you now, because in case, oh, we, need, no. we, in case we need it for later, <laughs> I'm very sorry. Um, and um, it had some nice, the one thing it did have is was it had some nice spectre uh, information in it. Right. I guess would be a way of putting it. And um, be- and we were going to shoot that due to availability and just uh, yeah, actor availability and mm. just the way things worked out timing-wise. We were going to shoot that in the new year after we'd wrapped on our seven other episodes in December. And then just what happened was we started shooting. We got about a week in and it just became really clear that we shouldn't be doing it anymore. Mm. Um, and we, 2020. We, yeah, and we had to pull the plug and it was a bit heartbreaking because it was going to be pretty good. But it is what it is. And we're lucky oh. that it was standalone so that the, the season itself works as a whole narratively and finishes. I yeah. mean, it would have been heartbreaking if we if we'd finished the season without actually having an ending that would have been really bad it would have been like the original <laughs> yeah. it would have been like the original movie actually where they, where, <laughs> yeah. where they didn't do that very last end point so. so so do you think there's a chance that we might see that at the beginning of our next season potentially I don't think so oh. I think I don't think so oh, I, th- no. I, I think I think I mean I can't you know that's not you know that's well sure. above my pay grade but I think that um, I think the story has momentum and mm. it has an energy and you don't go backwards with the with Lyra's Odyssey do you know what I mean it's it's all about I know yeah I know it's, it's a shame I know it's just because it is a big it, it, like what he's doing during that book is a big you know gap in the books frankly yeah it's a big question um, because again I'm not going to get into spoilers for any future books but when we meet him again his circumstances have substantially changed from where we saw him alarmingly and I'd say alarming <laughs> <laughs> and and so I was really excited to see that so I hope um, we obviously we'll, we'll talk about it we get a tiny hint of that this episode but I would just love more of that I just think that's, uh, that's such an exciting thing to be able to create I mean, if I if I were you guys, I'd be looking at other mediums or ways of making that. Like, make give us a comic book, or give us a <laughs> give us a podcast, or you know, give <laughs> give us an animated. Uh, I'd love one-off. to. I'd yeah. love. To, I'd love to do. There's a few, you know, because there's all these really nice spin-off books that Pullman wrote as well. Mm. Like, you know, Once Upon a Time in the North. I'd love to do little animated like specials of those things. Oh, I think they'd man. be really good fun. But you know, hey, maybe one day. Who knows. Yeah, fingers crossed. BBC, BBC. are you listening? (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) Russell, that money, please. (laughs) You can give me the money, that'd be great. You won't end up with a TV show, though. (laughs) (laughs) um, Okay, so you've kind of covered off what the the biggest challenges were, and and we'll get into, let's chat about the spectres and the the windows in in a little bit. But um, what's the... What, looking back at season two now, what's the thing that you uh, are most proud of that you and the, the team achieved? 
da, 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 da. that's a good question I think um, to, again it comes back to my same sort of top, my same topic it's characterising demons and conversation mm. so yeah. there is um, and, and also sort of I think we did a I personally think we did a really good job when we went off canon um, right. and, and we added things I think we added things that help a lot of the time um so my you know my favorite scene in the whole show is the whole season is mrs coulter and lyra going at it in boreal's basement and getting pan attacking and getting that kind of role reversal because it's really good it's good character work that i think really helps the story and it helps all the relationships and it pushes things forwards narratively um and and i think the visual effects played a really important part in the tension of it so Mm. yeah to me that's you know it's things like that um we had to do... There's a scene with Yorick actually in episode three that we had to do entirely CG that was mm. kind of a fairly late addition. And I just think mm. it came out well in that it sits in there and you don't feel like you're watching a fully 3D everything. Yeah. Like the environment, mm. um, you know, I think came out really well. Um, and I really love in episode... I guess it's this episode, isn't it? When um, Mrs. Coulter and the monkey and the, the and with the killing the witch... Or spectring yeah. the witch, because oh, yeah. it's it's uh, that that was fun for a number of reasons. Partly because me and Jamie Childs, the director, we really riffed on that scene. We went out for dinner one night, and we were thinking about that scene and the when and you know because with all these things, you're trying to work out where to place it amongst the sets and things that you have. Mm. And we were like, what if we did this? What if we did that? What if we did this? And suddenly it changed from sort of one thing into into like you know same script, same outline, but of a, but a different setup. And um and then and then the way it came out in the end I think is really really grim so I like it. Mm. <laughs> grim is right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, really- we'll we'll get into that in a bit, but it, it is um it's a great example of what you said you're most proud of, which is that demon character work and uh, telling us what um tell in, the demons informing us about somebody's character, which mm. I, I think and I think so. Sorry. Like what's been really interesting actually this year, social media wise for me. Mm. is is actually this year there's been a lot more commentary on the understanding of what the demons are representing from the general audience which I'm really pleased about you know when I see people going oh Mrs Coulter really isn't happy with herself or be kind mm-hmm. to yourself Marissa like comments like that they're the things that make me the happiest because it means that we're flavoring it correctly yeah you know yeah. um so it's good yeah I mean, her her relationship with her demon in particular, I feel like everybody, you know, the demons always give you something. But with her, what's going on inside is so diametrically opposed usually to what she's showing on her face that it, it gives you so much more depth to her character. It's astonishing. Yeah, it's really key and central to what she does. And, you know, again, it's, you know, it's partly because Ruth embraces it so much and it's also because it's such... Um, I don't want to say it's it's easy fodder because it isn't, but it's it, it's it's just so ripe for the picking, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. Like when you have those scenes and you kind of you realise that. How do, I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a, an analogy that I would make for how my brain works when I read Mrs. Coulter scenes, and it's like when I watch The Crown. Strange reference. <laughs> okay. But when I watch The Crown, especially season one of The Crown, I'm like, it's the perfect setup. It's like the woman versus the job. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, you can always play this thing and it's always going to have really great underlying tension. And with Mrs. Coulter, it's the woman versus herself. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it's always there. So you can choose to go into it or you can choose not to. A lot of the time, in all honesty, Ruth does it all by just looking at people and you kind of go, whoa, I get it. 
you know you, yeah. you, you know so sometimes you're like do we need the monkey at all should we just get sack it off to get rid of it Ruth's doing a great <laughs> job on her own um, but it's yeah it's really fun it's really fun stuff to explore mm. and you know and there's something about making a villainous you know it's like you've got two villains that you feel for and despise equally at opposite times but they're the mm-hmm. same person yeah that's exactly how i feel about that monkey yeah Yeah, it's cool it's good yeah it's good yeah and and the monkey in the seatbelt was adorable at the same time so you've got you know you've got these moments where you're like oh look at the monkey it's amazing what road safety can do to people's hearts isn't it (laughs) (laughs) that 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 is my one key takeaway that that monkey in the seatbelt and also lord boreal launching his snake demon at, at will uh, which I'll never forget. Did you guys did did you guys uh, animate that or oh, yeah, we did, did somebody yeah. did one of your teams sit at a computer for six hours? Yeah, yeah. Anim- animating a snake flying out of a man's yeah. wrist. The, um, yeah. the, the highlight <laughs> the highlight of it was actually when we were on set and we were putting a little proxy sausage up his sleeve for him to release, so that Amazing. it sort of moved the cloth a little bit as he released the snake. <laughs> onto the floor in a very sort of laissez-faire way I'd have to say actually <laughs> fire the sausage Arian <laughs> exactly. and what's annoying is you know like you do that and you know from a supervision perspective like you you, you sort of say we're going to give you this thing to help you and then the first three times it doesn't work and you feel like <laughs> you feel like such an idiot and you're like and, and, and it's like it's not you it's me <laughs> you know what I mean? so he's like Russell my sausage launcher is broken <laughs> Exactly. That's the that's the that's pretty much the highlight of the job. Yeah. Excellent. I'm sorry, sausage launcher has broken me. That <laughs> sounds vaguely wrong. Um, shall needs we? One. <laughs> shall we talk about this episode then? Shall we go th- through it a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, and it. and start with well, the episode starts with uh, a witch. It starts with Rudiscadi, who is. Um, well, I, I wasn't sure initially when I watched it where she was, but then I, I, I guess it sort of links up to the Azrael scene later. So she's presumably on her way to or on her way back from she's in conferring Mordor. with him. Hmm? Yeah, she's in Mordor. Mordor. <laughs> she's in Mordor by way of the yeah. Giant's Causeway. Exactly. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got it, you got it. The, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of, it's part of that idea of how you keep Asriel alive in the viewer's mind you know mm-hmm. as, a, as a thing that's still continuing like his quest is still happening in the background and you know again it's tricky that it's really strange in a way that it's not in the second book more mm-hmm. because it's kind of you know it's all about having that sort of multiple ticking clocks all colliding right when you're trying to make sort of stories so you realise there's this thing that you're just not paying attention to that actually adds this sort of underlying sort of pulse so I think having those those references are good. I also think that you really need to start warming the viewer up for season three, <laughs> like how right. it's a bit bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I think it's not great if you don't if you don't go a bit more fantasy and then you go full fantasy yeah. the next season. You know. So um, I think I think it was really uh, useful to have it in. Mm. Again, it was one of those scenes where we were like, where should we put it? Which episode should it sit in? Should we do it? Should we not do it? You know, it was a, it was one of those, um, one of those scenes. But yeah, I think mm. it came out quite nicely, actually. Mm. So, yeah, the design of the cliff gas was was quite cool. How did how, how did all that come about? Um, I mean, well, so we they sort of carried on from the first season. It's just obviously we see them a bit more. Um, mm. They're they're just those sort of fun characters, you know. You kind of reference some real world animals. You reference a bat for the way their little leathery wings are. You make them move a bit awkwardly and a bit weird. Um, try and keep them animalistic so they're not too 
you know it's like trying to find that balance between something feeling like a character and something feeling like an animal and you want them to feel mm. slightly more on the side of an animal than on the side of a pure character yeah um and uh and yeah and it's also giving you know again putting the witches in kind of slightly cool situations because you want to heighten the witches so that you feel like they are otherworldly they're not just in a wood having a chat all the time <laughs> they they chat a lot they, they, chat they a lot. the yeah. poor old witches have to deliver all the prophecies and the exposition in this, <laughs> this show bless them yeah it is tricky it's tricky but hey yeah well, at least uh, technically the cliff guests deliver some exposition here. So, you know, True. the witch yeah. just listens and passes it on later. So really, exactly. it's, yeah, sharing it out. As, as soon as as soon as the um, this word popped up in the subtitles, uh, I was I realized I've never heard it spoken out loud before. Because, you know, you just read a book and in your own head you say, and then I was like, so, OK, so Asriel needs the Ashishatar. The Ashishatar. And then I was just like, please, somebody somebody speak this in English later so I know how to say it and I still don't know how to say it Ashitar? Ashitar? It's tricky for you it's going to be hard for you isn't it going forward let's leave it a mystery Russell I've spent this whole season trying to figure out how to say Chittagazi and I I think I'm nearly there you need to just give it you need to give it a little little flourish at the end don't be shy of the Chittagazi Chittagazi sort of add a T in between the Z's it'll be fine right okay and we call we call the knife the Asa Hetra Thank you. There you go. See, this is why we, we need the, the big guns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hetra. Yeah. Yes. So Azrael will lose if he doesn't have it, apparently. Apparently. Um, and also we get this sort of um, statement of intent, I guess, that he is his war is going to be bigger than just the magisterium. It's going to be in every world. Agents of the authority are going to are committing injustices. So this this has gone from let's bring down the government to let's change the universe mm. essentially yeah thank you philip Pullman. um the yeah. um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, th- I think that's really nice though i think what's great is that idea of you know Azriel's quest is one it's not singular you know mm. it's like he, you know at the beginning he thinks he opens the worlds he proves to everybody that the magisterium are full of it done and then he goes through and he's like oh wait a minute there's this whole other level of oppression in every world and there's this whole, you know, and, and, and how, you know, and how all that over time then connects with dust is going to be really, really interesting, you know. And mm. I think that I think that I like the idea of someone who has a sort of like an onward journey and learns things that pushes their quest forward, because it means that it reinforces his character. His character isn't someone who goes, I'm going to perform this job. He is someone that goes on quests and he always will find a quest. And if this wasn't his quest... He'd be like building like the hardest IKEA shelving system or something. Do you know what I mean? He'd be he'd always have a mission, <laughs> that man. And I think that um, I think it's good that you know he learns about things and keeps going. You know, so mm. yeah, it's good. Should we keep with the witches? Because Rudiscadi then comes back a little bit later in the episode, recognizes Lyra meets with Serafina and their conference seemed quite important. So they have this kind of, um, sl- sl- it's, so it's an, a kind of uneasy alliance, it feels like. Like uh, Serafina holds back some information there, it seems to me. Mm. Um, and uh, about the Asahetra. 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 It's like you get, extra, um, you get extra points if you can slightly roll the R at the end. Oh, I definitely yeah. can't. No, 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 it's no, tricky. no, no, no. Really <laughs> um, but yeah, Seraphine is slightly holding back and saying, "Okay, if, if that, even if that is the mission, 
Lyra is still key to that because of this prophecy. Therefore, you go off and help Azrael, and I'll be like here looking after the kid. Yeah, you've got. To, I mean, you've got two very different characters really between mm. Seraphine and Ruta. You've got someone who is very immediate in Ruta. You know, I think, and that's part of the reason why it was such. I think such a good call to switch her out from Seraphina for the opening scene when yeah. she attached the submarine, because it's a. You know, when you introduce a new character, you need to. It's really good to give them like a, a vibe, basically. And I think giving her that <laughs> that that action straight away, and giving her that very kind of you know, sort of functional sort of presence in a way. She's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to kill these people, and she just does it. Mm. Um, so you've got two very different characters because you've got. She sees the problem. She's a bit more like Asriel, actually, in that yeah. she sees the problem and she's just going to go for it. And that's why, you know, I guess that her and Asriel, I think, in the books have some sort of history, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, and then Serafina is sort of like more... She sort of plays the long game a bit more, I think. And she's more... A bit more... I don't want to say cerebral, but she's more... I've just said it. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> too late, Russ. Um, but the, um, but you know, as in like she is aware of this prophecy about Lyra, and the hardest thing about Lyra and that prophecy is that Lyra doesn't isn't allowed to know what it is. Mm. You know, it's all about. It's it's really funny. It's a bit like you know the the thing with the alethiometer is like it tells you what will happen, what what will happen if certain events take place, and it's almost like as soon as you learn too much, it starts to change what you're going to do, which is why I think it's interesting. Like Lyra's relationship with that is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, Serafina has always in the back of her mind, she's trying to like work out this political issue with Ruta, which is about whether her people go to war, whether they don't go to war and making sure that the mission doesn't become so one way that it isn't also taking care of Lyra, which is actually the underlying, mm. you know, thing that yeah. she thinks is the most important. Yeah. It's like they, they both have the same objective, but different methods. Yeah. And then yeah. what's interesting is you've got other characters such as Mrs. Coulter, with kind of a different objective, but the same method, which is protect Lyra. And then you've Lee also trying, like you've all these characters trying to protect Lyra because they understand her importance, but each with a completely different perspective on why they're protecting Lyra yeah. and how you go about and it. And how you is, protect Lyra, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, like stick her in a box at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one way to protect that, someone. That would work, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But the um, yeah, I think you know. I always sort of view Lyra as like you know, like how the the president has the nuclear football that everyone has to protect. I see her as that. Like it doesn't quite know what its job is, but everyone is making it do the thing that it needs to do. <laughs> yeah, um, that's and good. I, yeah, and I think I, I really love that about the show. Like I love the idea of you know, there's someone who's kind of got this destiny, and everybody is just sort of sort of just sort of patting mm. them into the right sort of place to allow things to occur. Yeah, um, you know, and you I get that from the angels as well. The idea that yeah. the angels have interfered in human you know, humanity over time. Like this idea of, you know, guidance is interesting. I think I think it's important as well because a lot of, um, you know, kids' fantasy books and fantasy books in general have a chosen one who is prophesized to do the thing and sort out the stuff. And, you know, it can, it can feel um, improbable even beyond the realm of, you know, um, suspending disbelief sometimes when they appear to just do all this thing do all these things on their own and things just happen to work out for them whereas yeah. in this case you have large numbers of people who are motivated in different ways at different times to try to help out and I think that really helps with the believability of the whole worlds um, in, yeah, in this I'm, book I mean Lyra is a very grounded heroine mm-hmm. so yeah so like Lyra I think has two sort of superpowers one of them is the ability to kind of clear her mind and be open to ideas, which is that mm. connection to the alethiometer. 
and you learn that with sort of Mary and the I Ching and you know and all of cave, that all of, and, yeah. and the cave you know and I think that's a big part of Pullman's sort of like I don't want to don't know what the right word is like thesis or idea mm. is that you know like that in in youth there is an openness and a willingness to accept and and engage and imagine and they're all really important qualities and everything is you know and life as we know it is somehow all about beating that out of you and it's about trying to keep hold of it right um and i think that so i think i think you know that's like you know what a great superpower right it's not like she can't fly it's none of that stuff it's just that she can clear her mind and accept something you know Mm. um and the other superpower is she's just good she Mm. wants to do good Mm. even when you know faced you know i think i can't remember the way jane tranter puts it but it's that idea that she isn't great it's just she does great things through being good Right, you know, yeah. and that is—it's not that we've got a character that is great; she is good, and the result is greatness. Mm. You know, she also and she also feels like she can fail, and yeah. uh, and and back to sort of um, Helen's point, your your point about other fantasy properties and prophecies and destiny. I think what what I like about this show is that the Serafina is constantly reminding us that the prophecy is not set; it's something that needs to be. You know, shepherded like you guys were saying, you need she needs to be guided. Mm. Other, yeah. Otherwise, it won't happen because because if you take if it's just predestination, then you take out that agency and you take kind of take out the threat a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the stakes aren't there if if it's not that it. You know, I mean, I can't remember what the actual final prophecy is that um, Kaiser says at the beginning in like episode four, season one. But he says if something happens, it will all fail. Mm. Like there is a yeah. there is a potential, a huge potential for failure. You know. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that's interesting with the way Pullman writes is there's every chance that it ends with failure. I mean, Roger dies at the end of the first season. Yeah. Mm. You know, that is, you know, you could see that as a failure of some form. You know, it's like, and that's the way a season ends. Yeah, and Lyra or definitely sees it that way. Like, Lyra, exactly. that is, as, as far as she's concerned, that was devastating. And that was, you know, she's determined nothing like that will ever happen again. Exactly. Uh, which we keep hearing yeah. this time with, with uh, her and Will. Yeah. 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 Speaking of uh, trying to protect children, oh, I'm segue. going to segue oh, onto uh, Mary and her quest for returning the lost children to their parents. Don't worry, it's complete. She did it. Yeah, uh, straight away. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I like. Less I of feel a like quest. Less of a quest. What's on the What's on the cutting room floor here, Russell? Is there an awesome side quest where no. Mary and these kids? Got, no, they just walked up the hill. No, I mean, I mean, you know, that that, that is a classic example of, um, you know, there is no, you know, you could do a whole thing with her, and you know, there's always that thing in the book which is like, why doesn't she get attacked by spectres? And mm. it's just sort of hinted that she's protected by angels, basically, which is the same mm. thing that we did. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's just a representation of who she is. That's all it is. Yeah, it's a, it's about. It, it, I mean, it's two things. It's a bit like first thing is if you go into another world. I mean, I guess it has serves two functions actually. If you go into another world and there's absolutely nothing but really inhospitable mountains and then a really big city, you're probably not going to leave the city for quite a while. It gets her out of the city, right? And it gets yeah. her to the place where she can find a window through to somewhere else, right? So it helps us. It, it helps us, and in the book, it gets her on a journey, which mm-hmm. is the beginning of her onward journey, which everybody sort of has. Um, and it shows us that she's decent you know yeah. it's like she's got this quest she's been told she's great but she'll stop to go and help a couple of kids out yeah you know and I love yeah. and to be honest I mean like I am a huge fan of Simone who plays Mary Malone like when she turned up I was like yes that's Mary Malone right yeah. I think she's brilliant <laughs> and she plays that kind of she's she's so natural the way she plays the character and I remember watching in the rushes watching that scene when like one of the kids just asks her for a hug 
And I think those oh, two, I, I think those two kids are really good. Really good. They're re- yeah, they're really good. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. So mm. it's like really touching, really sweet, and it's just quite subtly played. But yeah, mm. you know. So I think it. Does, I think that's what it serves. There's no like missing missing action sequence where she's like <laughs> pu- punching a spectre in the mouth. <laughs> that's just that's just me and my hunger for more yeah. uh, just more spectre more. punching. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just I, I just love Mary in these two episodes because everybody else is going around with these incredibly high stakes, high emotion, you know, really like acting their little hearts out and she's basically just having a nice wander around a sunny city and just, you know, know. touristing yeah. a little bit. She's just sitting on the steps doing some <laughs> sort of slightly sort of esoteric Chinese sort of sort of yeah. spiritual medicine type thing or whatever it is, the eating, you know, she's just <laughs> sort of sitting there like I don't know so I know it's like the place where people have been dying in other episodes and she's just sort of chilling out yeah yeah she's just chilling out reading a book yeah we get a so yeah last week was the bible this week it's uh I Ching and she says the fox after nearly crossing the stream gets his tail in the water I think that's oh well I mean I think we're all clear on what that means yeah Yeah. so moving on (laughs) yeah we're all familiar with that one yeah classic Um, proverb <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I genuinely don't have much. No, to, I mean, I've read the books. I don't remember what she's even alluding to here. I no, don't, I don't know what that was either. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we see exactly that in the books because she sort of relates all of this. Spoiler later, I think she doesn't necessarily. We don't necessarily yeah, not, see all this as it happens. Connected. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no. yeah. I think but it only, does feel important. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that you really get from this is the idea of like you know, the, the, there's two readings she does. One when she's on the bed, which is about the kind of the idea of opening your mind up, and then the second mm-hmm. one is is about getting to a mountain, getting to a summit. Yeah, which mm-hmm. which ties in with what she's doing later. Mm. So, yeah. Tell me about the landscape here, by the way. Like, where did you get this landscape? Because it didn't look like Wales. So I assume that was. You haven't been to Wales someone? enough. Apparently not. No. <laughs> there's a bit. There's a bit in the middle that's really amazing, like that. Um, no. So we went to. Um, what was interesting? So the production designer Joel Collins, when he did all of his early concepts, he always had Chittagatsi surrounded by sort of really crazy mountainscapes that, that right. were inspired more by sort of Guilin in China. Oh, okay. Um, but what we wanted is we wanted them coming out of the sea. Right. And then um, our VFX producer James Whitlam, he had at some point fortunately been on holiday to Kauai which is one of the oh, smaller wow. islands of Hawaii mm-hmm. and they have this place this um this coastline the Nepali coast which is these beautiful kind of ribbon mountains that come out of the straight out of the sea so unfortunately I had to go to Kauai and film oh, all that you stuff. poor poor thing yeah, t- oh. sorry times are hard um so we yeah so I sort of went out there I did um I spent out there. I went out there for about a week I did two days of helicopter shooting mm-hmm. um which sounds wonderful but like three weeks before seven people had died in a helicopter where we were flying and or something like that and then like the day that I got there Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter so I was like hopefully that's all the bad luck out of the way yeah Um, but anyway yeah so so we did a couple of days of helicopter shooting which was amazing that place is so beautiful and then we did um two or three days on the ground we filmed some kind of plates that we might use that we actually we used some of them in Lyra's journey down to Chittagatsi at the beginning of the first episode right and then we shot a lot of photography that allows us to build out things like that Mary Malone landscape because that's actually just her standing on a small blue screen yeah when, when she, yeah, when she right. take when she takes the kids we've got we've got a we, Joel Collins built a built a set that is that kind of maze that they're walking through that mm. kind of crack crack in the ground maze 
um, and then it had an opening at one end that they open up to and then yeah we, we extended all of that yeah. with the references yeah cool wow awesome tough job man tough job well done it is really hard <laughs> If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Will we chat a bit about Mrs. Coulter and oh, uh, her pet pet spectres? Um, <laughs> yeah. So we we start the episode with uh, with Mrs. Coulter finding Lyra and mm. Will's house, and we get this uh, really interesting, touching moment where she picks up Lyra's coat and just is kind of just inhaling her scent, and it's this brilliant reminder that she has you know an mission and an objective, but it's also just this personal longing for. Her child, which again also feels at odds with everything else we see her do often. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a, that, that's what I like about her character is that's that's like I always say that it's like she's got like two strands, really. I think. I mean, she's got like her kind of quest, which is which changes. You know, she mm. it's it sort of you know, and you see it change in this show. She's like her quest is to kind of get more control within the magisterium, get Father MacPhail into this position. Then suddenly she learns that Lyra's in another world, and she's like, "See you later." And then she's out, you know. <laughs> um, and 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 she goes on a new quest. And I think what's so I think there's that. And then I think the other thing that I love is that it's that it that, like the whole three books is like her reawakening and like finding love, mm. right? And that's not and that's both love for Lyra and sort of coming to terms with it, and for herself to a degree, yeah. You know, or finding comfort in just being. And I think that. Um, you know she obviously she plays that brilliantly so i think those those little touches like you know when she's smelling the jacket they just mm. sort of throw you back in and it's just like another little thing that's adding on top to this sort of very slow progressive journey of dysfunctional parenting <laughs> it really is I, like i was interested it's actually the monkey that finds the house not her i thought that yeah. was a really nice little touch oh yeah so she's about yeah. to walk straight past and he goes in and it's like oh, yeah it's like it's an inner sense mm. you know it's like yeah it's like a, it's a it's that kind of visual representation of like a feeling of a hunch mm. You know, it's good. It's really nice. Um, yeah, really and I like, you know, again, those little scenes with the monkey. I love them. Like, mm. They're the ones that I really like doing because it's like, how do you get that kind of right amount of pace that it's not creepy, but it feels sort of gentle. Mm. And then, you know, two minutes later, it's moving at about the same rate, but it's terrifying. So so terrifying because because uh, we should talk about the witch coming into the city. So, you know, they've seen that there is a human from their world with a demon wandering around. God bless them. They want to warn this person and uh, help them out. And that turns out to be Big a mistake. Just huge mistake. Um, yeah, massive mistake. <laughs> that poor woman. Um, yes. So, yeah, so she, she, she really did not know who she was messing with uh, in, in this respect. That's it. Yeah, and, and I think I love that she has so much power, Mr. Schoolter. Like, you know, I think, I think what, you know, the way they played that scene, that mm. the witch suddenly realises she's in the presence of something 
a bit evil. Yeah. And and it sort of grows. It's sort of like that suspicion grows very quickly, which I think is really kind of interesting and cool. Mm. She has that presence, you know. Um, and uh, and yeah, I love 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 that sequence. Uh, it's really it's really dark, mm. obviously. Um, but there's something I really love about the idea, especially at the end when she like just sort of teases the monkey by putting the spectre right up close to it like she's going to spectre herself (laughs) it's sort of like again it's that kind of slight you know it's the same as in season one when she steps on the balcony and she's walking on the balcony she's toying with her life a little bit yeah you know it's that same instinct that she has it's that kind of slightly self-destructive instinct um and yeah i think it's a really great visual representation of it and that's one of the things again that's that's what came out of us sort of riffing on the idea of that scene Mm. And um, I think, yeah, I, 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 like my favourite part of the scene is the end when you get the unexpected return of the spectre. And it's, yeah, I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah, I mean, kudos to you guys. You, you, you communicate so much with, you know, vi- visually. Mm. Like there's very, you know, besides we do have an exchange of dialogue and a very important one in which uh, the witch finally reveals the, the name mm-hmm. that we, uh, we've been teasing. So she is Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the the all those little touches that you reference, Russell, are so interesting. And the um, even what's happening with the the monkey attacking this witch's demon, and this little exchange, like this fear, the fear of the monkey as the spectre approaches, and then this sort of you know this look looking away and kind of almost offering this demon up as a sacrifice, and and all of that is happening while she is physically grappling with this demon, and then this horrific moment when the witch's eyes go go vacant actually it's really chilling mm. stuff it's hard again real horror vibes throughout this whole yeah. season and it's that perfect sort of thing of like it's the collision of lots of conflicting emotion mm. right that's why it's really good it's mm. like so the monkey is like it's it's, it's it's I guess it's that unpredictable thing so you've got this monkey this monkey is like yeah I am team Mrs. Coulter I'm going to go and I'm going to get that bird for you and it jumps up and it gets the alarmingly complicated bird to animate by the way <laughs> What, what kind of bird is this? Is it, a... I think it's the only time a Chinese pond heron has ever been made <laughs> in CGI. Wow. And it turns out that they are an absolute bitch to do. <laughs> They're like really hard, like really hard because they've got like a, pr- a really stretchy neck. That's why mm-hmm. we picked it because we picked a bird that could be grabbed by the neck. <laughs> All right. We basically picked it for that scene. Um, so I presume you went out to a, a Chinese pond for six weeks. 100%, 100%. Research. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dressed up as one, became friends with them, yeah. Com- yeah. communed with the herons. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, they're, they're, actually, there's only like two or three reference pictures we could find of them. They're like super rare. But oh anyway, um, but yeah, I like the fact that the monkey is like totally team quarter. They're like, yes, we're doing this. And then it jumps over and then it attacks it. And then he's like, yeah, I've got it. And then the spectre turns up and he's like, wait a minute, what? And he's like, what, 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 what are we doing? I thought we were doing the thing we did in season one where I beat it up and you do yeah. the thing. But now there's this new guy. And then um, so, yeah, and I really like that. You know, we got some really nice details in there. Like mm. we really wanted to get you know like there's little things that I love like the monkey's holding the the, the, the the heron down and he's got pinning his down with his with his paws or his, his hands I guess um, and then the spectre approaches and that makes the monkey lose focus on the demon for a sec and his hand lifts up mm. and then the heron slaps him in the face with his wing and he pushes it back down in a frustrated <laughs> way like it's little <laughs> details like that that you know we, we spend a lot of time working on because mm. we're like you know that actually that exact moment is something that I this is going to sound ridiculous but for me that is referenced from the thin red line where there's a bit 
where there's a guy and there's a scene in The Thin Red Line where you've got a soldier and he's walking through really tall bamboo grass, oh, yeah. like really tall long grass, and they find a bunch of their troops dead, uh-huh. like really horribly dead. And, and, and he's in this place with these tall vines and he tries to turn around and his backpack gets caught on the vines and it's, oh, yeah. this, in, and it's, it's this moment of frustration, right? That I, when I watched it, I was like, I know that feeling. I love that they put that in the film. So anytime I can sort of like find with animation like a conflicting feeling or sensation or emotion that is taking you out of the moment where you're meant to be present in, I really love. Mm. So that just that slap in the face for me right. is just me going back to the fact that I love that reference in Thin Red Line. Totally weird sidebar, sorry. Um, Amazing movie. So you know. Yeah, love it. Yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, so we could talk about that one time. That'd be good. <laughs> that'd be good. Um, that'd be good. Um, the, uh, but yeah, anyway, so... so it's those little little details I like, and I love the fact that you notice the the fact that he holds it up, and it's 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 both an offering and like a last hope. Mm. Like the monkey is like, yeah. I don't know if this is where we spectre ourselves, yep, because she's mental. So I'm going to hold this thing up and hope that this is what you want, and I'm going to yep. look away because yep. I don't want to know what the result is. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I love that. The monkey's scared. It comes across yeah. like it's yeah, it's, terrified. It's, yeah, and then, so interesting. And then. You think it's over, and then she gives it another little fear again, which I like. Yeah, and then just vi- visibly grabs control of herself, and and calms the monkey, and therefore the specter leaves. Like it just like it's gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous that moment. That, um, but then they still have almost that face off underneath the tower. You know, there's this sort of moment of silent defiance or something, and a sort of restatement of their mission like, it's sort of like okay we disagree on certain things but we can agree on protecting Lyra essentially it's a it's a it's a really interesting scene to play out with only one voice available yeah I mean I, th- th- that's a great thing that I, I like about what we've done over the second season mm. and R- Ruth's done particularly well is in season two her and the monkey are at odds a lot yeah you know, there's just things, you know, like you can go through every episode and there's some kind of collision of like what they both feel they want to be doing. Um, you know, like when Lee and Mrs. Coulter are having their jail cell. Oh, yeah. Sort of great face, great face off. You know, that's but that, that, that's really, that's really lovely because there's that moment where like, you know, again, the monkey thinks it knows where they're at. It's got it's got Hester around the neck. And it's like, you know, it's sort of like, I, I always think of the monkey as the guy in a bank heist movie who starts shooting people when that was the, the plan was not to shoot people. So he's like, we're going to go. And he grabs the thing around the neck and then Mrs. Coulter changes the plan. Mm. And then the monkey has this look of like, what? You know, and, and, and so, so it's always like this kind of disconnect between them. And I think that scene you're talking about at the end in, in, in eight when Mrs. Coulter and the monkey kind of, it's in the book when they, you know, like it says the monkey climbs up onto a rock because at that point Mrs. Coulter in the book is walking through the countryside and it stops and Mrs. Coulter turns around and says, you you know, you're with me or not. Mm. Um, And yeah, I thought, again, I really loved the, A, I loved the way Ruth kicks the monkey. I think it's great. Like gives it a proper boot up the arse. I really like it. Um, It's it's really, it's it's horrible because she's, and then then she goes and comforts it and strokes it. Yeah. And it's it's an abusive relationship, isn't it? Yeah. And we get to have the monkey kind of want the love, but be scared of the Mm. opposite. Yeah. And it's that it's, again. It's that sort of unpredictability of you know her 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 sort of psychological state that is really good sort of TV, isn't it? Mm, it really is. Well, it's a very familiar like textbook abusive relationship, mm. um, but like with one's self. Yeah. And yeah. 
that is just endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the crown again, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting as well. So she says this, I think, in the scene with the witch, actually, before that kind of confrontation. But once she's identified, once Lyra's identified as Eve, she says it's Eve before the fall. This time she mustn't fall. I'll see to that. So, mm. you know, well, that's kind of a, a large aim, Mrs. Coulter. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, but it does sort of explain to some extent why she then does what she does, which is to literally put her kid in a box um, <laughs> rather than risk. Put the kid in a box? Yeah, that I, that? that's what I, kept, I keep having I'm that in sure my head as well. I'm sorry. No, that's the, I'm, that's I'm not, not sure you're allowed to do that. No, but, yeah. very, very, very inappropriate. Um, yeah, I regret that. But but yeah, it, I guess it does explain exactly why she's doing what she's doing if she's uh, literally worried about the fall of mankind, I suppose. I, I think it, it might come back to uh, it might come back to her, you know, slightly maybe not divided loyalties, but her affection is the wrong word. Her allegiance to the magisterium and her mm. there is and a her, sense that she has a bit more beliefs, yeah that she maybe. has a bit more belief in that system maybe than Azrael, for example. Yeah, I th- I, you know, again, it's that. Um, yeah, and, and it's hard. It's also hard to know. It's kind of like you know, as soon as she finds out that Lyra Lyra's potential destiny becomes this huge deal, hmm. suddenly you have the Magisterium wanting to stop her. Yeah. So it's also a protective instinct. She's yeah. like, if I let this happen, then everybody is going to be going after her. Yeah. So I think I think it's really hard, and I think that's what I like about that is it's quite ambiguous what her motivations and intentions are, and then we get season three hopefully to to flesh that out and really get into it because um, it's really exciting stuff. And I think there's a lot. I think the thing is, is I think as an audience, the show is really tricky. It's a very tricky show to to really get a handle on. I think. Mm. I mean, it's it's so hard to, to to structurally make when there's so many threads and so many big ideas. And so many characters. It's very complex stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just how kind of dust, you know, the fall of Eve and how all of these things collide, connect and become logical mm. is really exciting, I think. It's really interesting. It's what's exciting about doing the third book is it's a challenge in that way. It's it's a very big challenge in that way. No spoilers, but like it's <laughs> it's enormous. It's yes. huge. Yeah. Indeed. Sorry. I shouldn't be hyping it up to you. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. No problem. No, 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 no. Tell me the truth. <laughs> Does that? I mean, you you must get. It is a challenge and it's probably exciting. But there must be moments in this where they keep in in this series where all the characters are referencing this great war that's coming. And and when that happens, do you on a professional level just think, oh my fucking god, like <laughs> yeah, I die. Inside <laughs> I gotta make that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I do and I don't because well, I mean. Visual, the, the thing that's hard is the storytelling mm-hmm. that's what's hard like you know we you know if you throw enough talent and enough time and enough money you can t- you can pretty much make anything you know it's just about how you do it well because you know we are not a show that is going to do like a massive marvel or star wars battle sequence for 25 minutes for 30 minutes you know it's yeah. I, I don't think that's i mean it, i could be wrong and if we do, it will be th- from a point of view yeah. that is important. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's like we try not to just disappear up, you know, the visual effects 
I can't say that word now. Um, the, the big, the big blue beam in the sky. Exactly. We try not. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. try not to do it because yeah. I think you, you know, you just we've done it before. Everybody's seen it before, and you lose what's important about the story, which is the journey of characters. Um, yeah. So yeah. And yeah. I think as well. I mean, the books almost don't do it. Like there is, there are giant wars happening, mm. but our characters are not usually in the middle of those conflicts. They're usually off doing their own thing. Well, that's so, a distracting thing, isn't it? Yeah. About the books. Yeah. Like, there's that. I know in the, the beginning of. Um, oh, I can't say in the beginning of book three. There's a lot of times where like there's a battle happening, but mm. you're indoors. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you know. Or someone reports back that a battle has happened. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, because because the battle, that, that, that I think I think, and that's what I, I really like about Pullman's writing is that the detail is in what people believe and their characters. It's not in whether or not like a spaceship blew up another spaceship. Mm. You know, which I, I like. And I it's it's funny because I I really like that approach and. Um, and as an audience, you kind of hunger to see the thing, you know, you hunger to see these big, big battles. And, and, and but actually it, it is kind of empty calories at the end of the day. And what we really do want and engage with is character and emotion. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think I the always, approach is, is, is wise. I always look back to the old Ray Harryhausen films, you know, where you've got like, you know, they had no choice but to be point of view. Mm-hmm. They, had no, they had no choice but to be with Sinbad yeah. or whatever or Jason, you know, and 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 and. There was no like we'll go off and do a visual effects extravaganza because there and just wouldn't have been enough hours would, in the day. Yeah, and also it's like you know we can't, we can't move the camera like that. We can't do this. We can't. There's too many limitations. Mm. But actually, those limitations make it good. Mm. Like you've just got these, yeah. You know, like you're always with him. You're always you're always avoid like experiencing him under some stress or threat. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it good. It's point of view. Yeah. So you know. Some some really interesting references coming out in this episode, Russell. Yeah, sorry, it's all, it's all right, no, no, it's, it's, it's off the hip. Uh, th- th- thin red line was a real surprise. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> um, so what about this box? Like, is she still in the world of uh, Chittagatse at that point, or is she back in her own world? That that's one thing I wasn't entirely clear on. Uh, I'm not entirely clear either. Okay. Um, we I, what we know is they're on a journey, and okay. we'll pick them up. It, it's it, the the again in the book it's a little hazy mm. you know like where she ends up at the beginning of book three you're like what how did that happen how did the water you know? yeah exactly so you my, know. my personal sense I don't know the answer either but it seemed uh, Coulter had an outfit change um, mm-hmm. and look, so I feel like she's gone back to her her wardrobe somehow so it felt, it felt like they're in she did a circuitous, circuitous route <laughs> through her own house picked up a spare outfit packed a bag Dragging a box the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. In, in my mind, she's in in the sea in Lyra's world. That's yeah. how I. That's how I view it. Um, yeah, it's that's just how it we felt don't. Me, we don't show yeah. that journey, so therefore, right. you know, you can take what you like from it. I guess. Fair enough. Yeah. And and it it does feel like um, this whole idea. Her mission is, as we've said, you know, protect Lyra, prevent the fall. But it is the approach is this, uh, you know, as you said, Russell, this dysfunctional parenting. Mm. It's, it's this, you know, I'm going to stick my child in in a box, lit, lit, like literally, but also metaphorically. I'm going to prevent any outside influence, you know, pr- like the, it's this overbearing, protective, parental attitude mm. to sort of to a child who's going through a personal and uh, change and experience, and it's just like, you know, that that doesn't work. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's that. I mean, the whole thing with, I mean, yeah, the whole book is about control, isn't it? The whole trilogy is mm-hmm. about like control and fighting the people that try and control you, 
you know it's a big big one of the massive threads or the sort of morals of the book so yeah, yeah. Mrs. Coulter Mrs. Coulter is trying to control the uncontrollable which is a teenage girl <laughs> um, you know I think anybody watching that finds it kind of laughable that that's what she's doing you know like yeah. the idea I've got to stop this young girl falling in love with this boy in that case I'm going to oh. put him in a box and well, that, well, that or they're it. taking Maybe they're taking the wrong lesson away from it. People are watching this being like, why hadn't I thought of that? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Or, or they're comforted because their child is in a box. Yeah. And they're like, See, <laughs> she, does it. Yeah. She, she does it. Fine. Too. Totally fine. Exactly. Um, speaking of control, um, Mrs. Coulter and the Spectres. Now, um, you said that the Spectres were, were kind of difficult to, to get right, to conceive of. What, mm-hmm. what was the kind of journey with them? What, what were you trying to get across? Um, so they're quite tricky in the book like they're, the, the, the way they're described you know they're not they're quite hard to get like a handle on what they what they look look and feel like we um, and you know the whole idea that like some people can see them and some people can't is really hard in TV it's really hard you have to kind of do it again through like point of view but then you're like is the audience going to pick up on that or are mm-hmm. they going to be confused it's a bit like we had the, uh, the first reveal of a spectre properly at the end of the first episode coming up behind will and everyone's yes. like why didn't we go back to the bit when will was had the monster behind him but it's because you know they can't see them which mm. we've said earlier i think we said earlier. yeah you did yeah, um, yeah. but um you know it, it's just a tough it's a tough sell we also knew that we didn't want them to be human and ghost-like we knew okay. we wanted them to be impartial mm-hmm. in that they don't like have people that they want to attack it's just if you're near them they'll go for you right um you know, they're more of an organism than a monster per se. Um, and then we knew that we had to be very careful not to get too close to the number of already really brilliant effects monsters that exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always, that's the hard thing. It's like what you need is an effects monster, but there's lots of effects monsters. Um, and I mean, so, you know, I mean, we the things that we did, we, um, we made sure they didn't have a front and a back particularly. Right. They don't particularly have like the idea of a head right they're just like a thing that floats around um we made them both kind of particularly in that they can break apart yeah we made them that when they connect they just sort of become like a larger thing Mm -hmm. um and you know we did have designs which would have been in i think the missing episode where you see that they can kind of two of them can become like one bigger one and things like that oh wow but um, oh, like the Spice Girls. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the reference that this <laughs> this episode required. Um, thank you for bringing it home. The um the the yeah. So anyway, so we kind of knew that, the, that we knew the things we wanted to avoid, and we knew there were certain things. Like for example, Jane uh, Jane Tranter. She was the one who said, "I don't want them to feel like they've got a front or a back. I want them to feel right. like just an organism." And she said she doesn't want them to be black. Right. She she wants them to be grey because so, they're kind of this kind of hopeless, vacuous kind right. of you know is vacuous the right word they're like a vacuum of hope mm. a vacuum of hope or whatever and it um, might get too dementory I guess exactly now the problem is mm. is what happens when you have something grey and it's in a dark room it goes black <laughs> so you um, and then if you have something grey and it's in like sunlight it kind of goes a bit orange so that that, that proves quite tricky um and uh, and then I think the other thing I mean this is where this is where the, it gets a little technical but you've got kind of two ways when you create creatures you either create a creature as like a tangible asset that you have like a way of moving it and it's very very predictable mm-hmm. but getting to that point with an effects monster is very very time consuming mm. yeah. and we had a very we had a very fast turnaround on our schedule um, and the other way is that you do them procedurally which is where you basically use maths 
and um, proceed and, and procedural kind of um, simulations to create them. And what you get is you get loads of really cool stuff that looks cool. You get loads of really interesting happy accidents, but they're really unpredictable. Mm. So what you do is you put them in a shot and you go, looks great. And then you put the same thing in the next shot with the same settings and you go, looks terrible. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that that that's the thing that was that's the thing that what kept me up at night is whether or not the guys who were being kept up at night by the spectres were going to nail it you know um and um and they did they did but it was it it wasn't easy um and that scene when mrs coulter um controls them was probably Mm. the hardest of them Mm. because you know when you you design a creature that moves a lot and then you have a scene when they don't move much and then you're like well what makes them look like they're staying in the air like how do yep. they move when they're not moving? And, <laughs> and if, they, if they don't have a front and a back, how do you make it look like they're paying attention? Kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And and and, and yeah, yeah, like and and what what yeah, and, and so all of these like challenges are really interesting. You know, like what what does one look like when it's just if it's just in the air, it's just sort of evolving on itself. Mm. You know, it's sort of like just churning. And you know, you don't want it to look too much like water, but you don't want it to look too much like oil. So there's this yeah, they were really, really, really tricky. But I think they came out quite cool. Oh yeah, very well, scary. Well, I, I think the I think the best um, you know the best compliment you can give in this instance is that I wasn't thinking about any of those things when yes. I was watching them, and I was just like, yeah, floaty specters, floaty scary specters. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Job done. So, yeah. <laughs> um, will we will we chat a bit about uh, Lee and the oh. uh, Jopari and the? Um, quest to get out of the forest mm. and away from the bullets it was interesting i thought that this was in a forest and not the sort of like bleak mountainside of the books i mean so i guess it gives you a little bit more um lushness to the to the scene in this one yeah i mean you set up you know first of all we'd set up a landscape and yeah. an environment and we you know the, the other thing with the with the show is sort of having a sense of idea of where people are mm. like it's really useful if you can be like they're in the town and i can see the town but I'm establishing a shot that's sort of here, but the town's yeah. in the background, so you know that they they've walked and they journeyed, and um, so and then and then the other thing is we really really like the location that we found, which was Lydney Wood, right? Um, and it's really really nice, and it's sort of like it, it had like this kind of gulchy sort of vibe, but yeah, it offered us sort of some lushness, and I think there's something nice about that. Mm. I think. So easy to go down the route of it's a really barren, depressing landscape where the person gets in a gunfight. But actually, it's quite nice that it's in quite a pretty place, and mm. it's sort of it sort of suits Lee when he's you know not no longer sort of with us that he's in like this kind of almost like a glade sort of sort of situation. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Mm. Um, but they're uh, but yeah they're being pursued by the magisterium. We see the. Um, the Zeppelin, it was actually only on the second view that I actually saw the little lines coming down for the Zeppelin where they'd sort of zipped down. I thought that was a nice detail. Um, and uh, But yeah, the, the scouts are after them and, and one of them has a an eagle demon scout. I wasn't sure if, if he was meant to have been, I don't know, severed or able to separate or if he was just like, they were kind of at the no. edge of what you could do. It's just, our, it's, our, it's our kind of sort of conceit with the demons is that, you know, if you have a bird... They should bit. probably be able to fly. <laughs> Otherwise, they're the worst <laughs> demons ever. It's like, you know, because yeah. they're, they're meant to signify that you're kind of, you know, a certain type of character, mm. um, I think. And it's really strange because if your demon can't fly, it means that you're a completely different type. Of, you're like the opposite character. It's like you have the potential, but you don't live up to it. <laughs> you know? I, was always, I was always wondering about this. Like, how do, you know, are there like Olympics in Lyra's world? Because like, what if you can run really fast, but your demon is, you know, like a... a 
you know, short, a short-legged dog or something. I just brilliant. I want to do the high jump, but I can't. The yeah. pole vault, but I can't do it because I've got like a very my, small my insect. My sloth won't. won't <laughs> my do sloth it, yeah. won't come with me. <laughs> um, well, I think the idea is that, like, if you're the sort of person that's going to be an athlete. You and probably you've got have, that mindset. Yeah. You've probably settled as something. Because <laughs> you've got to remember that you're not born yeah. with that demon. No, true. It's not true. like, you know, so so I think the idea is as you work out who you are, you know, like if I wanted to end up being like an athlete, I'd end up with a fast demon. Fast demon, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so That's what's kind of interesting about Lee Scoresby then because uh, he doesn't have a flying demon and he's an aeronaut. Uh, you, know, you know, he's got this very companionable sort of cute hair but he's not um, he's not an aeronaut he's an aeronaut after he's settled he becomes an aeronaut that, later true, yeah. you know yeah. so he becomes an aeronaut when he buys the balloon off someone or wins it in a card game or something i can't remember which one it is i assume it's a card <laughs> all game, right hand solo exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. easy um the um the so yeah so i think um yeah so again you know it, it it's not hester's natural mm. place to be anyway and it's a, it's a learned it's yeah. a learned skill rather than a, a given one, I guess. Yeah, which in itself is is telling. Mm. And and let's, uh, oh, I mean, let's talk about Hester and, and Lee in this because oh. I thought oh, this was really really heartbreaking stuff. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I said it last season. I wasn't personally. I didn't uh, warm to Lin Lin Manuel Miranda and Lee Scoresby, and I was kind of a great. Uh, we were we weren't connecting personally and I don't know why I maybe it's just a picture of Lee in my head didn't quite meet he didn't look like Sam Elliott he didn't look like Sam Elliott yeah, yeah perhaps <laughs> perhaps that's pro- that, let's face it um but I gotta say in this season uh he really solidified himself in uh, for me as that character mm. and I thought yeah the particularly the prison scene and the time we spend right. with Lee and Joe Perry really really works and then you and then to get to this point even though you know as a book reader it's coming uh it did it did sting and i thought it was very beautifully um executed mm. those final moments the, just this concept of you know being on your deathbed and this it, the time he spends with the demon himself and it's kind of self-reflective and her, the the sort of questioning guilt that she presents you know this is my fault mm. isn't it it's it's uh, it's quite it's quite touching yeah it's 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 um it's tricky stuff isn't it but mm. i think i think i think there's something yeah i think what you're saying is 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 totally right that's kind of but it doesn't jump off the page maybe as much as when you start seeing it. Yeah. There's something about seeing like a person with a representation of themselves. And like when he says, don't you go before I do, even oh, though they can't, they even can't, though they yeah. can't. <laughs> and, and it's actually that he just, it's not that like he wants, it's not that like he wants to die first. It's that he just doesn't want to see her go, you know, yeah. Yeah. which I think is really, um, really beautiful. And I think, yeah. And that relationship is really, really great. Mm. I love that. Like, you know, like in that, in that little run, we get Hester is like the wingman. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's like, shoot over there, shoot over there. And then we get like Hester is like the, like you say, the internal reflection on what they've done. And, you know, there's definitely a trend in there about how Lee doesn't like to kill. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and, yeah. and he's having a conversation with himself whilst killing in which he's basically saying why it's okay that he why has to okay. do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, um, such a, it's such an interesting contrast to Mrs. Coulter as well, the closeness of Hester and Lee. Like they've clearly yeah. come from similar abused childhoods, but Lee and Hester are so united in their in everything they do really they'll talk it out but then they're so united and then it's such a contrast i feel like 
I think such a big Very part good. of that is from is is spoken about actually in episode. I get really I find the episodes really hard because we kept the episodes numbered as they were when we were going to have right. the fourth episode be the Asriel one. So I'm always right. one off. Basically, in the in the episode with the alethiometer heist, right. there is um, uh, you know that episode I think does a really great job of digging into. It, yeah, that episode is, is is a women's is a woman's episode, mm. right? It's about being a woman in these worlds. Yeah, you know. And you know, I think I love I love the stuff about you know how Mrs. Coulter could have been a scholar in one world and not in another. And I think the difference is I really do think a big difference between how one person bounced back from something and the other person didn't mm. is because of the the kind of the opportunities afforded men in Lyra's world. Right. You know. You know, like Mrs. Coulter is someone who had a lot and then lost it all and then had to claw her way back, whilst Azriel just kind of was fine. You know. Um, <laughs> So I think um, I think that's you know I, I I really think I really see that and I also think that you know there's a different amount of damage when you know I think you know when you've had a kid and you've left a kid whereas mm. Lee hasn't had that experience yeah. you know so um, but yeah I think that sequence anyway with with Lee and Hester is really really lovely like it, mm. it was quite that's one of the scarier ones to do yeah. for us it's a big like, one in the book yeah. Yeah, and how do you just get a hair to emote in the way that you want? And again, most <laughs> and most of it is again about doing less, not doing more. Because you yeah. know the audience can feel the emotion, and Lynn is doing such a great job mm. um, that you know sometimes you you just need to like not do stuff so the audience does it themselves. Yeah, you know, and that's that thing that's that's the thing about animals is that actually it's quite you can you can lean on that, and 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 sometimes if we had her Hester like coughing and spluttering and like you know like going oh, ow, oh, that would be really rubbish so um restraint is, is is again one of the biggest sort of assets i think you have to have when you do these shows um but yeah i really i do like that sequence a lot but yeah. it did scare me i the um the, my highlight of that experience was we were doing the temporary adr recordings or cdr for creature dialogue recordings as we call them right. um we were doing them when we were all in lockdown right so I was in my flat in Wales doing all of these CDR sessions with all of these like great people, but like in my bedroom. So I was like <laughs> doing like a session with um, David Suchet. And like, Amazing. it was honestly, the whole experience was beautiful because you've got like David Suchet's at home. He's been sent a few little bits of kit and he's trying to make his iPhone do the right thing. And he keeps being so, he's <laughs> such a lovely guy and he's being so sweet and going, oh, thank you so much for helping. And then there's like, and actually he's being an absolute legend. Um, and we did the same with um, with all the demons with Kit with Pan and with uh, we did you know briefly with Phoebe Wallerbridge for um, uh, Joe Parry's demon mm. so you know we yeah so we um, but with Christella when we did that she had she basically has like she turned her I guess her cupboard or ward or like cloakroom in her right. flat into a little recording studio right, so she yeah. had like drapes and stuff up Right, and there was just something about it. They're like she had a. Re we always have a reference camera, and that was kind of quite high, so we were slightly looking down on her. And she was doing all of these performances, and then when it got to Hester dying, she got really upset. Oh, like like she she really like was so into it and and tearful, and there was something about. I felt quite guilt. Like I had this feeling of guilt. I was like, oh no, like she's in New York in a flat in lockdown in a cupboard crying. Oh no, like, I feel terrible. Um, and, I'm and I'm watching, um, but um, but yeah, she did. She, she was so amazing. Like the way that they, those all the, all all of them put their voices into mm. the demons and really 
really connect and she connected so beautifully when she did that scene yeah. she basically did it and we were like I think we're done then <laughs> you know we won't we won't do another take because no, no. I think that was really good no, um, slayed us all so exactly so yeah yeah, yeah. it was a nice experience that final really. I, I think it's a, uh, sorry sorry Helena. that final we're helping Lyra is is a bit of a heartbreaker like it really is Oh, yeah. There's a funny thing in that, which is that the original line we had was we're helping Lyra, and then they adjusted it to be closer to the book, which is we're a helping Lyra. Aww. And that, and we were like, oh no, we've got to change the animation. <laughs> we've got to add in that for the helping Lyra. Um, but yeah, it's really, yeah, it's sweet. It's a sweet moment, and it's quite sad. I, I was, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a testament to how good that scene is and how invested I was at that moment that when the, when Lee holds up the cloud pine to ask for Serafina's help, I for, kind of forgot everything that I knew and was just like, yes, she's coming <laughs> to save him. <laughs> and I was just, I, I felt this moment of relief that, you know, was quickly crushed. <laughs> so, th- so thanks, guys. Aww. You're welcome. You're this welcome. is like yeah. every single time I watch Romeo and Juliet, I'm like, this time. She's going to wake up. This time it's going to happen. Um, It's like with us though, we killed Roger, so you can be sure we're going to kill Lee. Oh, you monster! I'm I'm really curious to see how the audience that haven't read the books react to it, Mm. because that will be. I don't think anyone would expect that to be a character that carks it. Yeah, it's interesting as well, and I I think I like this actually. About it's a change to the book because, frankly, it's more futile in the book. You know, here Lee holds them off long enough that we see a reunion between yeah. John and Will which we don't get in the book there's that there's that just heartbreaking kind of missed connection moment in the book yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I, you know I, purists may disagree but I am so glad they got their moment in this I just I would have felt so cheated I think if they hadn't I think it's important I think the thing again again you, you I, I imagine writing a book is a sort of a similar experience in that you go on a journey and things just feel right at the time mm. And it's just like when, and when, once you've started spending time with the characters, visually seeing them how they are, sort of like you, your needs change a little bit as a viewer, you know. And I think, and I think that's where, when people get upset when we go off off book, I totally understand it. But as I always say, like everything we do on the show is kind of done with love. Mm. Like we all love the material, we all love the books, and we're trying to do our best by them. But at the same time. We're trying to do the best by the characters that have been, you know, other people have now breathed life into them, mm-hmm. and 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 they've and they've kind of become something of their own, and you have to go with what they should be now. Yeah, so like I always say, if people don't like the the visual effects of the show, people ask me, they say, how is it? Is there a lot of pressure in doing a show that's like a beloved, like you know, like um, property? And I'm like, no, because I will really look forward to seeing them do it the way they like it later. Yeah, you know, I'll, you know, if someone like thinks it's wrong. I'd love them to do it again and I'd love to watch it, you know, because it's just, you know, it's people's take on it, isn't mm, it? Absolutely. I, I think I'm with Helen. The, 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 that scene felt better and more emotionally mm. satisfying for me than, than kind of what we, what we got in the book. Um, and it felt, and without betraying sort of the, the overall sense of kind of what happens mm. and the, that, that sort of tragic, tragic end to it. But the um, and and I think to to you know which kind of fits with your wider point, Russell, about any time you make changes, it is also to serve the characters. And I think the Amir Wilson really gets to shine mm. in this scene in particular, uh, with this these conflicting emotions between Will and his father, and he, uh, he's kind of instantly relieved and 
Wallace are curious, you know, you have a demon, but also then, then the anger and the, the accusations come, you know, when he learns about, you know, you chose those people over us. Uh, it's, it's really heartbreaking mm. stuff. And what's interesting is this, Andrew Scott is playing Joe Perry as this, um, somebody who, who is feeling, you know, similar, this like amazing moment where he sees his, his, his son and this, you know, lifelong, um, heartbreak is feels like a little bit healed uh but then he's kind of back on track he's like he's a bit of a zealot he he's got you know he's got his mission you are the bearer and then he starts telling he's right into like this is what you got to do uh to the point where he completely forgets to even mention lyra and his promise to mm-hmm. to yeah. lee uh which which is that's how much of and this show is filled with zealots you know he's he's a he's quite a bit like mrs coulter and and them, but and Azrael, he's, he's yeah. a lot like Azrael. And Azrael, it's that, yeah. it's that. But I, I think you know, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a lot of um, people with singular visions. And actually, funnily enough, a lot of the men have the more singular visions. Mm. Mm. You know, that's I think that's interesting. Like Mrs. Coulter has, you know, Mrs. Coulter is like a survivor. Yeah, you know, she's constantly surviving, and she has a growing mission inside of her to reconnect with her daughter and be a mother again. But um, yeah, there were a lot of people with singular visions. I think I think that's really you know I think Amir played that scene really really well, mm. and I'm glad that it's it's nice to hear that you guys didn't feel because it's very different to the book that whole that whole section, you know like we don't have Groom and being killed by a witch and mm-hmm. we don't have mm. all that stuff, but it just didn't feel right at the time. You know, it didn't feel like the right things relative to where 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 we're building to. Um, so it's really nice that you guys feel um, sort of okay about that stuff. Mm. That's good. Well, if you if you do the witch thing, you've also then you've got to start to establish the relationship, his relationship with that witch throughout, and it's kind of a whole other thing. And, to and, do and you're basically doing world. that whole thing just so he can get killed by a witch. It yeah. doesn't really go yeah. anywhere. So it's sort of like it exactly. becomes a touch extraneous. Where in a book, it's great textual detail and it's and it's great stuff to read. Whereas on in the precious minutes of television, where you can't have moments be you know like I said last time we spoke, you know, ten seconds is ten seconds in TV. It's yeah. not five pages. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really good. The, uh, we we um we had fun trying to work out how to kill the guy that shoots uh, Joe Parry's demon with the two birds having a quick fight. Yeah, but, I was I was trying to think. Have we seen a demon kill a demon before? No, we haven't. That was our first one. Oh yeah, it's quite ruthless. It was yeah, yeah. brutal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I was I was okay with it. Screw yeah. that guy. You know, whatever. Exactly. But, I mean, it was it was still a bit like woo. Yeah, it's quite intense. It's quite intense. I quite like the. I quite like how um, protective it is. Mm. You know, it's very protective of both himself and of his son. Yeah, which I like. It's very instinctual. You know. Well, you get that moment. That's what you don't get in the books. That moment of self-sacrifice. Yeah. You know, he twists yeah. Will around to pr- protect him. That's how you know. Yeah. Tells us again how focused he is on his mission. Yeah. But also, I think it's a moment of love and a moment of fatherhood as well. Yeah. Not just. Yes. Mission. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, sorry, you're right. I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> forgot that he is a father in there. But the, the the bit that absolutely broke my heart in this scene was, uh, you know, again, kudos to Amir Wilson and the this reluctant hero thing. And, you know, we've seen reluctant heroes, you know, that throughout fiction and they're, they're, uh, it's, a, it's a very common trope. But he's so reluctant to do any of this. He's in this episode. He doesn't want he wants to get away from the witches because he doesn't want to hurt them to get hurt. He doesn't he doesn't really want any of this and there are people dying around him and now he's got he's finally reunited with his father 
and he's being told he's got to do more and suddenly he's got to save worlds and he's so important and he the poor guy doesn't want yeah. any of this and then he then he get the, the line that crushed me was when will says to him um and then we get to go home you know after all this that's all he wants that yeah. and that he just wants to have his father back with his mother and have a simple life and that absolutely ruined me yeah because 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 you know like when he's in when he's in his world you know his life is so complicated with his mother and all he wants to do is be invisible mm. it's like that's the whole thing about will is like it's something that we don't play up that much as in, in the book is that he's got this ability like the witches to kind of make themselves invisible and it's not something that we delved into but that idea but we, we do with will in terms of the fact that he likes to not be noticed and not be seen and that's one of his skills but you know, I, I just sort of like I do agree. I think like there's that thing that all he wants to do is go back to the world, have a mum and a dad, and be visible, yeah, in a yeah. normal way, and just not have to be like a hidden part of society where he's trying to hide his mum's health, mental health issues to a bunch of bullying school kids. He just mm-hmm. wants normal life back, you know, and um, and you know, and and the whole thing with this, the the thing is, it's like you you know, like if you want to get if you want to get out of the hole, you can't you can't be invisible. You've got to stand up and do things mm. you know and it, and it's like his call to arms is is i think his reluctance is in being seen yeah you know to do these yeah, things as much nice. as it is the fear of doing them mm. but also um, after after what we saw last episode and him sort of swearing off violence to have his long lost dad turn up and say not just you're a warrior but literally the fate of many worlds may rest on you. Like, it's like, oh, really? Are you kidding me? Seriously? I've just decided I'm not going to, like, hurt anybody. I'm not going to kill anybody. And I'm a warrior now. Oh. Yeah. I think I'm going to do that with my kids' homework. When they won't do it, I'm going to be like, the fate of many worlds may rest on the result of this work. And see, how, see what that does to their mental health. Yeah. How many um, times do you think you can get away with that? It's <laughs> just, just the one, I reckon. Um, and then I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to like lean into the results of that for the rest of my life. Rest of It'll be like on, on the news, there'll be like a crash, and a plane crash. I'll be like, that's because of the homework. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's your C plus there. Exactly. That's it. It's the results. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's finish off where we where we are with Will then. So the the last moment we see Will in the. Um, in the final montage mm. is him uh, li- literally adopting his his father's mantle, mm. which I liked. This uh, the 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 hood. He's become the shaman, the sexy shaman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, by the way, the costume design. I mean, we've kind of talked about it yeah. already, but I really so liked uh, Joe Paris. Like that. Like that's a cosplay waiting to happen. It's quite out of left field. Um, his character, like the when yeah, you know, I remember seeing him for the first time, and I was like, I was not expecting that, but I quite like it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I like yeah. I like the vibe of him. Yeah. You know. I like that we didn't end up with some frazzled old guy with like lots of like scraggly beard and bits of sort of old yeah. old soup in it, you know. I like that he. I liked. I like. I really liked the way he. He's very contemporary, which I liked. Mm. That was a really good take. And he's very lived in. And I also like the, like the um, the jumper he's got on, right? So he's got you know he's got the cool otherworldly <laughs> hood that's got this kind of. But he's got like this jumper that just looks like it's from our world. So it is this kind of mismatched. Yeah. Like like he looked yeah. looked like he picked it up at a charity shop. Yeah. So it's like this lovely sort of reminder of he's a he's a patchwork person in in himself and he's yeah. like mm. co- coming from different places and but also hand tattoos hand yeah. tattoos big big takeaway there i also like the fact that he's another predominant character who has stumbled into where he is yeah like mm. the idea is that you know in 
his backstory is he goes to the north on an expedition and stumbles him stumbles his way into another world can't get back and he ends up here yeah he ends up like realizing that you know like he wants to leave a great world for his kids and that there's all this stuff wrong with it and he wants to you know leave them with freedom Mm. you know because if he can't get home at least he can do that exactly you know and that's the thing is that's I I think that's the really I think it's a really good point Mm. is that he hasn't it's not that he chose not to go back it's that he chose to do something faced with the fact that he can't go back right still for his family which is lovely it's lovely yeah Um, we should probably just have a quick talk about um, Will and Lyra before we go on to that final montage which was very big for all the characters but um you know we have had that scene of of pan bonding with will earlier in the in the episode which was really kind of lovely like pan sort of saying what lyra maybe can't or hesitates to or doesn't want to say out loud yeah. there's a it's sense that fav- she- it's my second favorite scene, in this scene. <laughs> it's genuinely it's it's yeah. really lovely because it, it feels like Lyra is hesitant to call will her best friend because of what happened to the last one but he is and she knows that and Pan admits it, even if she can't. I also like. I, I don't know if you picked up on it. I mean, it's 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 to me, it's really clear because we did the work. But you might not have picked up, and and that's fine if you didn't. But there's also like a slight sharpness in Pan. Mm. There's a very slight bitterness in him when he's like, "You're her best friend too," and then he like sort of walks around. He's like, "Get some more sleep. Hopefully, you feel better." And he kind of like he says it over his shoulder. Like we tried to make his body language just a little bit like, you know, I feel like I'm being replaced. It's not all about right. me anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, and so, nice. So we tried to have a little hint of that in there. Whether or not it comes through or not, I don't know. But um, the the yeah, I just I think there's something really sweet about that scene, and I think you know everything from like just the staging of it, the mm. lighting of it, it all just worked really, really nicely. And um, yeah. and I like I, I I do like the kind of the I feel like there's a like Pan is having a bit of a maturing journey as well, mm. which I really like. There's a, we, we were talking the other day because we we picked the red panda for him as a demon because well mostly because I was working out what demons to do for them for season two and I went to the zoo and I saw <laughs> and I saw a red panda and I was watching it and not only are they like really adorable I mean super which adorable is cool, mm. but there was something I really loved about them because they were quite, exo- they're kind of exotic, right? Which is Lyra in a new world, but they're kind of a bit clumsy, which is like teenage girl with a new boy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I liked that. I liked that there's like this combination of like beauty and clumsiness mm. in the way they move and the way they look. So I remember I came back and I pitched that as a, as a new demon to, to Jane and Joel Collins and the rest of the team and they were all like yeah let's do it and then Joel built it into like the Chittagatsi set design oh, wow. like the pat like like there's like a there's a there's like posters on the wall for a cola that the the logo is a panda that eats oh, wow. the berries that are in the town and those berries oh, are amazing and those berries are on the tree outside the front of the cafe you know there's like all of these like little references that they they, they put in and we kind of really lent into it because we also even if you it's all it's, it's that whole, whole idea of like seasoning the show with like secret ideas mm-hmm yeah. There's this thing in the book that basically says that the reason why Lyra changes into more demons is because she is more imaginative. And part of that is because she's been exposed to more things through her studies and her right. education where most children wouldn't get that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we really like the idea that she turns up in this new world, sees a drink that's got a red panda on it, wants oh, to man. slightly impress the boy, turns into a panda <laughs> that's a bit thingy, but that panda is a little bit clumsy. You know, there's some, so, so, I mean, it's all these little thoughts that we have that kind of make the decisions. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, and so anyway, but then at the same time, being able to return to 
classic pan ermine for mm. that chat with Will. Yeah. yeah. That's why we chose that because it's her at her most sort of exposed, I think, because it's the most vulnerable demon that she has, really, mm. apart from the moth, but hey. Um, but, you know, like, it looks sweet and innocent. It's it's It sort of harks back to the youth of her in season one. Mm. It's what she is when she sleeps. So I think it's really nice that that's the the, 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 the duo is her is, is Pan as an ermine and Will. I like it a lot. That's really nice. By the way, was was Pan a Wolverine during that fight with Mrs. Coulter? Yes. That's yes, thinking. that is not a, that is comically a reference to um, the X Men franchise, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not why it's we not. picked it. Yeah. It's it's, it, it's a in the books. Mm. I think not yeah, I in think that it scene. Yeah. It's not not in that scene, but, but at it some has, point, yeah, Pat, it was somewhere else. Yeah. But also, one of the things with doing the demons is trying to maintain a thread of character. And when you look at what we ch- what we've chosen, like a panda is kind of like like a red panda has like bear like movements in the way that their feet move. Um, Pan is also a mustelid, which is like a pine martin a lot. Mm-hmm. And then a wolverine is a very strange mix between a bear and a mustelid. Yeah. So what she becomes is she becomes two of the things that she's kind of feeling at that moment and she becomes the aggressive form of that. But it's still familiar to you as a viewer. It doesn't feel weird. Mm. You're like, whoa, she's yeah. turned into like this thing that's totally outrageous. You feel like it feels natural and it feels kind of comfortable, I think. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So the um, so we get we do get that lovely bonding scene and we get quite a few uh, sort of nice uh, Will and Lyra character moments mm. in this episode. Um, it is very, you know, for a, for a season finale, there is a lot of action here. But for our central characters, I like that it was uh, it was a bit more sort of introverted yeah. and it, it feels like a sort of cementing of their relationship. And um, we get this sort of, um, you know, following Pan and Will's chat, Ly- Lyra is... Um, a bit conflicted isn't she she's a kind of afraid of losing another best friend um and pat and, and sort of they're, they're trying to decide what to do and she has that conversation with pan where you know he doesn't think they should leave the witches and and, and i like that he acknowledges you know verbally that um or she says i'm changing and and she's and pan says is it will who's changing you i love that kind scene. of mm-hmm. a, yeah it's, it's really nice that they're having this this dialogue about what kind of what's happening to them and the the, the going through it's, it's almost like the birds and the bees chat but without a parent you're, you're kind of yeah. or without any answers and, and, for, and for us the really interesting stuff with that is in like the energy of pan when he's delivering those lines mm. so like when he says yeah. is it will that's changing you like we build a little hang and a little pause in there because if you're asking yourself that question internally it's a slightly uncomfortable question yep there's a, you know, there's a half ac- an accusation in there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. So when Pan yeah. says that, he's walking, and as he says it, his head dips a little bit, his feet slow, and then he picks it up. Like he, he it's like he just has to slightly get that question out. Mm. And Love you know, that. and that that that's all that. Like I said, it's that idea of like flavoring performance with movement because mm. you haven't got you know you've got you've you've got a reference body language as well. So. Um, and I like, yeah, I really love that. And it's like, I don't think, what, is it, what she, she, she says, I don't think I'm ready to change. And then someone says, I don't think anybody is, or the other way around, actually, with their lines. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a great little scene, that. I love it. There, there is one tiny incidental moment I noticed in that scene, which prob- doesn't necessarily build on character, but I just liked, was was uh, Pan as the ermine uh, is like on one rock, he's on a rock, and then he moves to another rock, but flips to a bird in between, mm. and then back to the ermine. And I just like, it's just a reminder that, demons can do this and how agile they are and that, I, I, I really enjoyed that that's something we did a little bit more actually in we did it again in like the second episode when 
boreal still zeolithiometer. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's something about that kind of energy that we realised that we slightly hadn't quite hit in the first season that we liked. That idea that like just instinct. Mm. It's like this is happening. I'll become this and do this. Like I think I think there's something really nice about that, and it helps with the energy. So that's something we you know like you do anything. You watch what you did the first time. You go, what can we do to tweak and improve? And what did we not? quite get and that's something that I felt that we needed more of yeah um those little incidental bits absolutely um and then uh then the sort of it's almost the breaking of the fellowship isn't it so you've got Will and Lyra and this witch even yeah. after um Serafina goes off to try and help Lee um but they all fall asleep and which seems like a bad idea number terrible one idea. terrible Never idea do. yeah Who's who's this? Uh, the witch of all people should have been awake at the very least. <laughs> well, she's she's maybe still recovering from the demon attack or from the spectre attack I guess, before. Yeah. I, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Still, somebody should have stayed awake. Somebody should have stayed awake because Will is sort of drawn off by shaman powers, I guess. Uh, Lyra is taken away and put in a box, <laughs> and and uh, one of Miss Pe- Mrs. Coulter's pet spectres. Well, sees to the witch. Yes, it's quite um, it's quite a strange scene. That um, mm. you're right. I mean, it is it is you know it is a bit convenient that she falls asleep, but it is yeah it does make sense that mm. she's exhausted. Yeah. Um, and I like we'll, gi- we'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> you get is, a pass exactly. And I but I think there is something that I there's something I really like about the fact that you know Mrs. Coulter's sort of like quietly and silently still spectres the witch in mm. her sleep it's quite horrible yeah um i mean miss scott does a lot of horrible stuff in this season yeah really you know? really horrible yeah I, I think um, I think you have to have that because like I remember that scene in the book where she suddenly tells the spectres they can fly. So you don't have that here. The spectres can pretty much fly from the beginning, but yeah. that scene in the book where she goes, "Oh, you're not you're not actually tied to the ground," and then they just float up and attack the witches and attack the zeppelins. That's terrifying, and I love that you got the sense of that across without actually having the same scene. Yeah, it's it's basically like having the sense that I, I, we always took it that really it's that sh- the spectres learn that they are that you know that they can be controlled is more interesting i think mm. for us um because learning they can fly is cool but you know taking away their ability to fly so they can only crawl around on the floor kind of takes away something from the rest of the show it's yeah. kind of quite a big concession to make but then at the same time i think you know the story from our side with the show it seems anyway is it's about mrs coulter's abilities to do what she can do because we have to build to what she manages to do in book three and it's you know and we're building on this idea that she is this incredibly magnetic controlling person you know like so you know like she can be the person that like all men want to you know like listen to and you know basically be with but she can also you know separate herself emotionally so much that like you know this this kind of horrific creature will do her bidding you know, it, 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 you know, like she has such, she has such like psychological power, and I think that's for us the story. So just using that is more interesting. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, it's a, it's a pretty dark scene anyway when she specters that that witch on its on her own. It's quite funny. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, will we will we take this thing home yeah. then? Will we talk about um, we get this final montage? Uh, with a sort of call to arms voiceover from James McAvoy and Lord Asriel back in action. Mm. Yes. And um, we don't know who he's addressing um, until he starts uh, initially, until uh, he starts calling them out 
uh, quite aggressively. Mm. I like I like how he's like, you know, it's classic Asriel. He's like even in a moment where he's like confronting de- or sorry, confronting angels, and he's very much uh, feels like he's in charge and he's in command, and he's telling that this is what we got to do. Come out now. Where <laughs> fuck are you? Come on. Yeah. And then all the and then they sort of appear appear and say we stand with mm. you. Uh, so big moment. Welcome back, Lord Asriel. Mm. Indeed. You're with you're for me or against me. There is no neutral ground. It's like okay, all right. Yeah. You and whose yeah. army, mate? But okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was um, that was something that we we always knew that we needed to end, especially when we lost having the episode with James. We always knew that we needed to end with James. Right. Um, and where we brought the angels in was interesting. The angels are again tricky, um, and they they really do deserve like an entire season's worth of development to work out. So um, we also knew that we didn't want to suddenly turn everything into an angel fest. So we didn't have the scene, for example, where Will talks with the angels. Mm. Um, mm. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it built to the right point and didn't leave. You know, like you want that to be the, the carrot for next season to a degree, like yeah. this whole kind of promise of the angels. So, um, yeah, but I, I mean, what I do really like about that is I really like the fact that yeah, Asriel looks battered so there's a story there mm-hmm. like where's he been what's he been doing and you sort of feel that there's he's been on a journey himself and I love that he does this call to arms and then I love that there's something and it's something that we talked about um, when we were shooting it um, I loved that um, James has like a tiny moment of vulnerability when he sort Just of thinks that it's not it's not going to yeah. happen and he and, yeah. and, and we built that we sort of built that in there um and actually, I mean that, that that scene was, I for me personally, quite good fun because um, that was we'd finished, we'd wrapped, we'd done all of that, and then that came in around lo- quite late. And I actually shot that scene. That was right. my, I had that, they they kind of left that one up to me, and it's quite a privilege actually. But um, James, yeah, he, he, I thought his take on it was really, really good mm. and really interesting. Yeah. Um, and that little bit of doubt, I just love the fact that it is plausible that it's there, mm-hmm. but I, but it yeah. it also feels like exhausted doubt. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of weariness rather than like, I'm really doubting myself. It's just like, oh God, come on. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, because th- he doesn't want it all to be for nothing, right? Everything mm. that he's gone I've through. I've struggled through many there worlds. In his face. Yeah. yeah, and it feels yeah. like he's, yeah, it, exactly. feel, it feels like he's sort of psychologically kind of like, this is this is my, this is the last one mm. almost, you know, even though it probably wouldn't be knowing Ezra's character. It feels like in that moment, he's like last ditch attempting it. Um and uh, yeah, I really like that. And I like the, I kind of really like the landscape in that scene as mm. well. Like, I thought the team did a really good job of making some kind of weird basalt sort of sort of otherworldly landscape without it seeming too, again, with us, it's like we're trying to ease into that fantasy without suddenly going like sledgehammer of fantasy, which is yeah. actually my new nickname. <laughs> <laughs> now I thought also be, a, also the, be a good metal band name. <laughs> the, sledgeham- the sledgehammer yeah. of fantasy. Um, but um, but yeah. Anyway, I think um, yeah, I really like the scene. I think um, it's a nice way to end as well, and mm. I think it's also good that you you know like there's that nice thing about introducing like a well-known character's voice that you haven't heard in a long time, whilst yeah. you're seeing all of this kind of rousing imagery. You've got you know like I love the Yorick staring out at the collapsing yes. iceberg. Um, I love all of that. I think all of that, all of that stuff's really, really, um, really, really cool. So you get this kind of voice, and you're like, and and, and it's that idea of like holding on to it. So you you wait and wait and wait. You see all this imagery, and you want to see McAvoy, and then you just get him right at the end. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's really, it's, really cool. It, yeah. I mean, and also if you have a voice to narrate things, and it can be James McAvoy's, then bonus. I mean, you know, always, just... always go for it. <laughs> then it should be. 
Always go for it, yeah. <laughs> if, pe- if people out there haven't listened to the Sandman audiobook on Audible, I highly, highly recommend it. Oh, does he do that? He does, yeah, he's the Sandman. Ah, yeah. I've got the whole anthology of Sandman over there that I keep yeah, meaning to I've read. Got the, I've got the big uh, leather bound I've got the big, yeah, that's oh. what I've got over oh. there, yeah. They're so yeah. good. All right, all right, guys, Just showing saying. off your backgrounds. I don't have any books back here. All I'm right, so, I'm so sorry. It's, good, it's good podcast chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, speaking of um, big season three build-ups and call to arms and uh, uh, battles, um, Russell, how much can you tell us about where you are with season three? When we, when our audience and your audience can expect to see it um, uh, I can tell you very little sooner rather than later I can tell you very little um, I can tell you that I mean it's not officially a green lit season mm. um, to me it's green lit when it's in the press right um, you know what I mean okay. when, when it's in the press it's green lit um, but we are obviously um, in early prep for it we're you know taking what is a very complex book breaking it down you know we've got to deal with you know Malefa which mm-hmm. is oddly not the scariest mm-hmm. part of it, you know, because what we know is what we know is we've done Yorick. We yep. know that we can do really, really emotional creatures acting with people. Like we're not, yeah. that's, that doesn't worry me. I've got an amazing animation team, an amazing creature team. Um, it's up, you know, we, we've got to decide where on the scale of how, how much we go completely with the book or not. You know, that's a whole conversation. Um, but, you know, the Malefa is not the scary bit. The scary bit is the is is first of all making it work well mm-hmm. on TV. Yeah, because it works really well yeah. as a book, but it it uses a lot of the concessions that you can get with a book to to kind of you know where where you find out information is probably fine in a book, but you need to find it out like much earlier in a season, at, probably for television. So it's like trying to work all of that stuff out is really, really, really complicated. And, you know, I know the guys are going through that and we're having kind of early chats and we're sort of starting with our early design processes and all those things. But that's all I'm going to tell you. Fair enough. Because that's all I know. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> without enough. any spoilers, it's fair to say this is going to get cosmic in season three. Exactly. So. It, is, it is definitely a leap mm. um, into a new place, which is cool. Yeah, so it's gonna be fun. Cannot wait. Yeah. We Let's sh- hope it happens. A- amen. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. And we it should will. we should just quickly mention the uh, post credit sting here. Poor little Roger, adorable yes. Roger. Yeah. Yes. Calling yes, yes. for help. Where could he possibly be? He's in. He's in another box next to next to, <laughs> Lyra, next, next to Lyra. This is this uh, is a setting a bad example for boxes all over the world. I think it might be. Yeah. But no, I, I like that. I thought it was a nice little addition. It's very much you know. And one of the exciting yeah. bits about next season. So mm. yeah, it's cool. good. Good teaser, and I think for people who haven't read the book, very a real like curveball. Did you notice there's a little yeah. shadow, a little shadow in their background behind him? Mm. I if couldn't you, tell what you, it was. Yeah, if you well, oh, if you've no. read the books, then uh. you'll think about where he is and what that might be. It's cool. Anyway, um, ooh. Ooh. Uh, ooh. I'm gonna go back to that. <laughs> well, uh, that's it, Helen. We, we did, did it. it. We got to Hurrah. the end. Well done. I mean, like, we did nothing. We just just talked about the TV show you made. (laughs) His Darker Materials is a stripped media production. Our executive producers are Kobe Omanaka and Tom Wally. The episode was edited, mixed, and sound designed by Tom Wally. This episode was produced by Helen O'Hara and Dave Corkery. All our music was composed by John Dix. Our artwork was created by Sam Gilby. 
And the excerpt read at the top of the show was taken from the book The Subtle Knife by Philip Pullman and published by Scholastic. This episode was recorded remotely in parallel worlds. Finally, big thank you to James Carroll and the team at North Bank Talent Management. You just heard a stripped media production. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how.